Welcome to this podcast of hope and inspiration from Sequoia Community Church in Oakland, California. Sequoia represents a multicultural, multi-generational community who seeks God's presence. We thrive on discipleship and outreach, loving God and loving people. Email, contact, and website information will be provided at the end of this podcast or by going to myscc.co. With God's word as my source of truth, I declare, God is all that he says that he is, so I am all that he says I am. God will do all that he says he will do, so I can do all that he says I can. I believe, receive, and act on all that God has for me today. Now would you just look at someone and just say, today could very well be your day. All right. In fact, why don't you just say a prayer of blessing over the person to your left or right? Why don't you just quickly just say a prayer of blessing to each other? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, we just thank you for the opportunity today to be part of what you have for us, God. We want to receive it. We set ourselves into a position to uh, know what you want for us today, Lord, to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Perhaps today you were able to get um, a communication card, a connection card, um, and on this communication card, if you look on the back, there's three things that you can fill out. Number one, it's good to fill out these every single week. At least put your name, and then if you have an information change, put that. Uh, This then is put, there's like two little bins to the left and right of the doors there, and so you fill this out, you don't take this home, and that goes in there, and then the staff will pray for you and uh, be able to communicate with you, uh, perhaps, and follow up with anything that you put on this particular card. But at any rate, just let us know that you are here, and they will be able to follow up on anything that you might have as a special need. So um, on the back, you're going to see a few different response things for later in the service. Uh, you don't need to fill that part of it out yet. but. I'm not going to probably remember at the end of the service to tell you, fill it out and put it in. Um, So if you'll take care of that and make sure that that's covered, then everything's going to be great and it will help you in many ways. Praise the Lord. Well, I was talking to Pastor Randall how he was trying to figure out, uh, I actually texted him this past week, and I was, you know, he was basically saying uh, at the encounter on Sunday night, he goes, yeah, a lot of you went out to eat and uh, some of you might have went to Tony Roma's. How many of you know where Tony Roma's even is in this Bay Area today? It's pretty far, I'm telling you. Uh, they've closed those down, Pastor Randall. And it turned out that Chick-fil-A was the place of choice for everybody. How many of you like Chick-fil-A? Anyone? All right, so that's good. So, Pastor Randall, I just thought it'd probably be good to give you a nice little treat today. And you can eat this in the service if you'd like, but it's a nice big old piece of cheesecake, and he can just enjoy that uh, today. So here you go. Here's a fork and a a knife and a spoon, and uh, I want you just to enjoy it. It didn't come from Chick-fil-A or Tony Roma's, uh, but it came from one of the finest places. I bought it a couple weeks ago. It's been in my car, so should be fine. (laughs) Should be all good. Um, you know, I just want to thank Pastor Dave. He's uh, up actually having a well-deserved uh, vacation day in the mountains skiing today. How many of you like to do that kind of thing? You like to just get away for a couple of days? Um, how many of you know that Pastor Dave doesn't do that very often? In fact, he never does it often enough. 
And uh, in fact, I think we're just um, going <laughs> to just tell them not to come back. How about that? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's a, it's a great privilege for a pastor to get away, but you know what? His mind and his heart are here right now in this moment. I've done that for so many years where I just kept my phone handy or called someone and say, oh, you have everything you need. I'm, he is still here, and he's praying for each one of you today. He probably already prayed for you this morning, and you know what that means? That's a powerful thing. When somebody prays over you, that's a pretty big deal. And Pastor Dave and the staff and so many people pray for all of the people in our church so often. It's kind of unbelievable. And uh, I just think that uh, uh, you should remember that. And when he comes back, you know, put a couple bucks in his pocket and say, you know, buy a meal for the family. You know, do that little, little things like that go a long way for a pastor's heart. Um, and uh, just little blessings that you can do along the way. I want to reinforce a couple of things because for the, for the past few months, like since the beginning of the year, there's been kind of a key verse that has been talked about, and it's kind of the theme verse for 2020 here at myscc.co. And so if you're here at Sequoia, um, this is a very important thing to know that this theme is going to be focused upon so that we go deeper and deeper and deeper into this truth that we've been learning about. And uh, it might be good for you right now, as we begin also, put everything away that might distract you. So throw things under your chair, cover it up with your coat, turn your phones on silent, do the things that you know that will help you to focus. And it will actually help you because when you're not distracted and you're really tuned in for a few minutes, wow, it can go a long ways toward your spiritual growth, just because you don't want to miss a point when it comes to God's Word. Amen? All right, so in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it's kind of the theme verse here. And that verse says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many, of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So this is things that you've heard in the presence of many, like in our congregation. Um, we are all witnesses to, to entrust these to other people. And it's kind of a duplication effect, right? You learn it, you teach it, you duplicate it to someone else. So Paul tells us to entrust or to, to hold it really, really dear and true. It's kind of like you're locked in solidly to that very truth that you're beginning to learn. And so some of the things over the last few weeks that we've been learning uh, is this exact thing, entrust the good news because it's life-changing. The good news of Christ is life-changing. Share it with others. Take a moment and share it with someone else because our, our valuable life in Christ, it's not a thing to be secret. It's a thing to be shared. Also remember this, we've been teaching that your identity is in Christ also, that you are God's masterpiece. Remember, you were not created to fail, but God loves you and knows you, and He is working on you and creating such a masterpiece that it's an incredible thing for other people even to notice and see about you. You're adopted as God's children. We've been learning that you are also forgiven by God's grace. God's grace is simply unmerited favor. In other words, you never deserved that, but God gave it to you anyhow. He made it available, the grace of God. And you're also marked, we've been learning, not by the sin of your past. No, you're not marked by that. In fact, you are actually marked with the seal of God's Holy Spirit. 
I think that's a good thing, right? If you're marked with a seal. And also we've been learning that you are beautiful in his sight. And when you, bring, when you bring the good news to others, that's a beautiful thing to them. So when you walk around, when you share the good news of Christ, when you are there making a difference in someone's life, that's a beautiful thing. It actually is opening up their blind spiritual eyes to spiritual freedom that they can find through Christ. Those are just a few things that we've been learning the last couple of months. Uh, and so Paul is helping them to see just a, a few different things here. Three things. You, hope, you have hope in God. He wants you to see that you have a hope in God. Second thing is that God finds value in you. And the third, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead or seated Him at the right hand of God gave all authority to Him that's also available to others when we believe. So those are all really big things. Um, you know, a lot of times people are overwhelmed when they're weak or when they're in a state of, of difficulty in their life. And sometimes when we are weak, we can withdraw to that weakness. Uh, and that weakness can take a lot of actual forms. Um, when I think of people that are weak spiritually, I think of people that are running to some of the wrong places. And it's not just running to sin, it's running to places in their mind that they may think they're worthless. It's running to places where they're trying to fill the void with things that are pretty innocent sometimes, like maybe playing soccer, or maybe doing some kind of a, a hobby. And they're so into that hobby that it's actually showing a sign of their spiritual weakness because when they should be in God's presence, they choose to do something that will fill that void and they're going from one to the other to the other and they're never satisfied. They're not satisfied with those kinds of things. You know, Rick Warren, I quote him often with this little phrase. He talked about parallel train tracks um, where... In your life, a lot of times, a lot of really, really good things are happening, right? But at the very, very same time, there can be a lot of heartaches and pain and tragedy that's happening. So you have both happening at the same time. A lot of times we think, well, I'm up this week and I'm up this month spiritually. Next month I might be down. It's not like that. It's kind of like you're dealing and navigating both of those things all the time. The parallel train tracks, right? I want to share with you a story. My mom and my dad loves, love Jesus. My dad passed away seven or eight years ago. My mom is still alive. She lives in Illinois. Uh, and actually, that's where I was born and raised in Illinois. And, and when I was 20 years old, my entire family moved to South Texas, which is where I met my wife, Ginger, who is uh, here today. A lot of times you don't see Ginger because she actually is the interim pastor at... Um, in Berkeley at the Assembly of God Church in Berkeley. And so she's there doing that every single week. It's kind of a, an interesting thing that our life right now that we're doing, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's really different, I got to say. And it's just so, I'm so blessed every time that she can come and, and just hang out. And she had already scheduled this day off, and then Pastor Dave uh, decided that he was going to have that vacation and just coincidentally hit today and I just what a privilege it is and she goes what do you want me to do at the end of the service today and I said nothing <laughs> she said what I go no it's your week off and so you know it's just a blessing I'm giving her and then later on I'll give something back I guess I don't know how that works but 
you know, I just want to be nice to her and bless her today, but I appreciate her so much. I love her so much. Amen. My mom and my dad loved Jesus. When I was 20, we moved to South Texas, but while I was growing up, um, we went to church our whole life, but our family had its struggles. One of my earliest memories in life is my uncle going to the side window where his bedroom was from the outside, trying to get in the window so he could go inside the room because my mom was in there. She had locked herself in that bedroom and she was laying unconscious on the bed. I don't really remember after that moment what happened, like how they got in or what happened after that. But I remember another time where people were carrying my mom out of a church basement and putting her in the back seat of our car. I must have been four or five years old. I don't really remember how old I was. But I was very, very young. And another time where I remember my mom and dad saying, go to your rooms. Everyone go to your rooms and just close the doors. And I remember listening and trying to figure out what was going on. Our pastor's brother, who was a counselor in our church, was there, and he was talking to my mom and dad. I also remember when we had to stay at my grandparents' house um, for several days once, and we weren't really told why, but then my mom came by and picked us up, and we all went home. Pretty quiet for a few years after that. But when I was 15 years old, it happened again. My mom attempted suicide and she checked herself into a hospital. After she checked herself into the hospital, we were getting old enough to try to figure these things out. It was really weird because this had been a family secret kept from her kids our entire life until I was 15 years old. My dad had a family meeting and he told us what was going on. From time to time, my mom would become so depressed that she took handfuls of sleeping pills. She knew just enough to take to where she wouldn't die, but she was in a very, very bad situation physically. My mom suffered from severe depression. And when it was at those low times, when she became overwhelmed, she dealt with it in a very heartbreaking way. And it turned out that She would take these sleeping pills, like I said, just to get her to that brink of suicide. The ultimate cry for help that you always hear about when it comes to people attempting suicide. My mom and dad actually divorced when I was 15, right after that time. um, I remember having another family meeting where we had to pick which parent we were going to live with. A year later, though, they reconciled. They actually remarried each other again. And so they were married again when I was 16, but then when I was 30, the pattern began to happen all over again. When I was 30 years old, in fact, it got a little bit worse. I remember I was living in Corpus Christi, Texas, working, uh, and I got a call from the police. And the police said that they found my mom in Cole Park, a park that was along the Corpus Christi Bay. And she was staggering around and she collapsed. And some people ran over to her, called an ambulance, and she was in the hospital. I rushed over to the hospital, and when I rushed in there, I walked in and I opened the door or went into the room that she was uh, in, 
And I, I just happened to walk in as they had filled her stomach with charcoal and they were pumping her stomach out. It was a crazy moment in my life. Here I was, her firstborn son, trying to navigate this, this tragedy. And I was completely overwhelmed. It was horrible. When you're overwhelmed, your mind is going to naturally go to something that will fill that void. And when your mind is set on something, no matter what it is, it will also set you up for what's next in your future. I want to say that again. When your mind is set on something, it will actually set you up for what's going to happen in your future. And Paul knew this, so he was setting up the church of Ephesus for a victory. In fact, that's where we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 3, as Paul wraps up his prayer to the Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 34, I know you have your papers there, so you can just use that. That might be less of a distraction for you today, um, but just fill in those blanks as you see them. But I'm just going to read through this first, and then we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to do a little teaching on these scripture verses, okay? So here we go. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Are you guys all ready? Turn to someone and say, I am so ready for this. Crazy ready. Turn to someone and say, crazy ready. All right, I got it. Let's read this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives His name. And I pray out to His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Ephesians, you church, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. I pray that you have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and power to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul left him with this prayer. He wanted to teach believers in Ephesus some incredible spiritual truths about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's take a few minutes, and we're going to just do this verse-by-verse verse thing, okay? So let's unwrap this, and then I'm going to bring it all together at the very end. Okay, so I want you to tune in, because sometimes the teaching part of a message is like, I hope you don't hear like the Charlie Brown teacher thing in your head. Wah, 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 wah. Don't hear that, Okay. Hear the word of the Lord and its teaching, okay? Here we go, ready? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I like where it says, for this reason. In other words, it's a cause. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a goal, there's a basis for what's going on here. That term is foundational. 
it, it's really the same word that's used up in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, where Paul said he even had a reason, the same word reason, for this reason, he had a reason, the same word, for speaking to them even as he was a prisoner. So he was a prisoner, and he said, even though I'm a prisoner, I've got a reason for talking to you, for sharing with you. Talk about being overwhelmed. Talk about being in a prison. That's an overwhelming situation. If I were to put you in a prison, and I'm not talking about even a prison as nice as San Quentin. I'm talking about a prison that is horrible. In the days a long time ago, where prison was not like you think. And he was overwhelmed, but he said, for this reason, and he said, for this reason, I kneel. That word, kneel, actually means I bow toward you, God, or as if looking up toward the Father, the ultimate and the eternal. God is the place to kneel toward. God is the place to bow toward. God is the place to acknowledge. So Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And Paul is teaching something here. He's teaching, for the moment, put away all other aspects in your life. Put, away, put, on, put it on the other side of what you're thinking right now. The other truths, the other aspects, they're going to have their place later in your life. But for now, use your knees and God's everlasting truth, His scriptural truth. Uh, by the way, kneeling toward and praying to God, just being able to do that, that's a gift. That's an amazing gift. We are free to turn toward the source of God for our answer. I love that. We're free to do that. And so Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives His name. We're all family because we all have the same Father. He's the source of all creation. God created you. He's the rightful owner of everything. In fact, God promises that His love and power are available to His family and to the church. We acquire His name, we get this name, that is God's name, through faith. The Bible says that if we will profess our faith to Him, if we will believe that Jesus Christ died and was risen from the dead, that we are going to be born again. Born again means being born into God's family, and we are adopted as sons and daughters. God says, you're just like one of the other ones. My wife, Ginger, was adopted, and her whole life she was welcomed into this family. And when she was 19 or 20, she got a phone call from her family that she tried to find when she was a senior in high school. And the word that she got back was that her family, her mom had died in a car accident in California. We were living in Texas at the time. And so she kind of gave up on everything. But when we were married a year, we get this phone call. And it turns out that it was actually her family. And they were living in Houston, Texas. We went and met them. And she had four sisters and three brothers besides herself. The reason that she was given up for adoption is because the welfare department, the story goes, we don't really know the honest story, we don't know. But the story goes that the welfare people said, if you have this baby and keep it, we're going to take all your kids. So her mom gave her up for adoption. We tried to help that family when we lived in San Antonio, Texas a few years later and found out that God had rescued her 
from a drug-seeking, terrible, horrible family. Their entire family. She would have been a drug addict, probably just like the rest of them. But she was rescued from that. We acquire and bear His name through faith. We never know the pathway of where we're brought today. You may be in that situation, you may have been raised in that situation, and you would say, well, that's great because I was raised in that situation, but you know what? You're here today. Let's not look to the past so much. Let's look to the future because God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and He says, you are mine, you're an adopted son and daughter, and you're part of the family. He adopts us as His own, and we become Christ followers that no matter what nation you were born into, whether you're red or yellow or black or white, whether you're rich or poor, whether you were born in my neighborhood or your neighborhood, whether you're Republican or Democrat or Jews or Gentiles, you have one name and they got it right when they wrote in the Bible that that faith is placed in Jesus Christ himself. I'm telling you, God loves you so much. We have one Redeemer and we're all, all Christ followers belong to that one family. So Paul's been setting this up, right? He's been setting up this amazing honest prayer, and he's passionate about it. Kneeling toward God, every believer bears his name. And the teaching in Ephesians is powerful because it's given to show that we're ultimately here for the glory of God as a family with our complete attention toward him. So verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I love that out of his glorious riches. That's pretty generous. The prayer here from Paul to the church is that we can actually tap into God's pocketbook. I have one son. He's 33 years old. When he was a teenager, he knew how to tap into my pocketbook. But guess what? I wasn't as generous as God. God wants every good thing for you. God loves you so much, and He's the one that can afford it. His riches. Now let me talk about this a little bit. The entire prayer is pointing to the Spirit's operation, right? So part of the operation of the Spirit is to strengthen you with power on the inside. So God is love, the riches, His riches are total, and it reaches to every corner of our experience. God's riches are wide. It covers the breadth, everything in our own experience, and it reaches out to the whole world. God's love is long, one commentary told us. It, it continues the, through the length of our life. God's love is long. It continues through the length of our life. It is high. It rises to the very celebration of joy that we have in Him. It's deep. It reaches to the depths of discouragement, despair, or even death. Death. His love is deep. When you feel shut out, when you feel isolated, remember, you can never be lost to God's love. In Romans chapter 8, you can read a lot more about that. I'm not going to go into that this morning. When you have this strength in your inner being, it's also evident in your daily life, right? Your inner strength stabilizes you. It helps you to sleep at night. It actually, it helps you to navigate boldly in the spirit during the day. 
When you have an inner being, spiritual strength, it's evident where you walk. When you walk into the grocery store, you have the power of the Spirit within you. When you go to buy a car, you can make the right decision because God is guiding you. When you see someone in need, you can pray for them with the power of the Spirit. When you have a family problem, you can gather the family together and say, you know what? We are not going to rely on our own strength. We're going to rely on this inner being strength of God Himself. And there's a reason that this inner strength is important. Verse 17 says, so that you might dwell in your hearts through faith. I like this dwell word here. I was kind of looking at that. Paul is actually saying that you people, you you that have invited Jesus to dwell, you've actually invited him to dwell or take up a lasting habitation in your life. That habitation is not temporary. Dwelling is not temporary. Jesus came to your house and he knocked and you opened the door and by faith you began a relationship with him, right? You accepted his covenant or promise and you then your, your intellect and your emotions and all of your will, it becomes a property of Jesus, so to speak. It dwells within you. Your spiritual power, listen to this though, This word dwell is not a spiritual goal. It's an explanation of what the truth is. The dwelling of God within you, that is an explanation. It's not a goal. Your goal isn't to finally let God someday dwell in your life. When you accept Him, He's living in you now. He indwells your being. He's actually part of you. And that spiritual power, that's Christ dwelling within you. Indwelling means that He's permanently present within you. So sometimes, don't think that God is something that you just put on on Sunday morning and walk to church with. He's dwelling in you, and He is heartbroken when you're heartbroken. He is helping you to navigate spiritual choices all day long, wherever you are. That thing that's talking to you, that's the Holy Spirit challenging you to not only do better. The Holy Spirit's job is not just to criticize you. The Holy Spirit's job is to empower you with boldness. And when you're empowered with boldness, you're not just looking for things that you're doing wrong. You're looking for things that you're doing God-like. That you're actually going to someone in faith and changing the circumstance, the atmosphere around them, because you are making a difference in their life. Paul continues with this prayer, right? He wants to strengthen you with power. Be aware that he dwells through faith. And then he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Let's be real. Believers, we love to be prayed for and we love to pray. Prayer on our behalf of each other and praying for each other, that's a very powerful thing. You have a need, go to God in prayer. You have a need, get someone to agree with you in prayer. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer and don't be apprehensive to receive it. Be ready to receive prayer. Go into the prayer closet. Go into the prayer circle. Go into the prayer joining hands with someone. Get in the prayer closet yourself where you're kneeling before the Lord. So he prays that you're going to be rooted. You're going to be established in love. He's going to strengthen you with power. He wants you to be aware that Christ dwells in you through faith, that your roots in love will be established, that you would be strong, aware, and solid. But now look out, verse 18. Verse 18 says this, 
that you may have power together with God's holy people. That's a unity statement right there. There's strength in numbers, and the warriors didn't invent that phrase. Right? There is strength in numbers. Don't underestimate the power of two. Don't underestimate the power of a hundred. Don't underestimate those kinds of things. Don't underestimate the power of a thousand. Don't underestimate that in Oakland, even today, there are churches throughout this city as spotlights or lighthouses of light that are actually lifting up Jesus Christ in this city. Don't underestimate that Oakland can be changed for Christ. It's because God is saying through the scripture, you're going to have power together with God's holy people. I would say grab someone by the hand and lift it up like that. Grab someone by the elbow and just lift up elbows because it's a corona thing, all right? Just do it, okay. All right, there you go. I don't know how to do that really, but it kind of feels good, right? It's like, well, I like that. All right. We may have power together with God's holy people. We're better together, so be together. Don't be separate. Don't neglect coming to church. Don't neglect getting in a prayer circle. Don't neglect going to Starbucks for a coffee with another believer. Begin to do this thing in your life, and I guarantee you, you're going to be stronger. So then it says, have power, God's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And the power to know that this love surpasses knowledge is beyond you and is beyond me that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God that the power that you see the power is to be evidence in a few things right here that you're supposed to grasp this uh, that, uh, I'm sorry that you would have the strength to grasp and the insight into the infinite love of Christ so what happens is for us a lot of times we love conditionally. Isn't that true? I feel like even as a father, I loved conditionally at times, it felt like. I mean, I love my son. I love my wife. But there's times where things aren't going right, and I kind of just turn this love switch on and off. And I let them know, today I'm not approving. Today I'm approving. You know, you did good. You did bad. And I'm kind of like, I'm mad at you. That is not the kind of love God has. Man, I wish I had His love like that even more in my life. In fact, I'm praying for that kind of love, that I constantly see Him in it, that I would know this love that surpasses knowledge. My knowledge is different than God's knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Jesus loves us unconditionally. You know how I know that Jesus loves us unconditionally? Because in Romans, there's another passage of Scripture, and it's a powerful Scripture that I, I constantly I'm amazed every time I read it. Romans 5 verse 6 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love, His own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I like to die when it feels good to die. (laughs) You know, you're taking the mountain, you draw your sword, you're on your horse, and it's like, now is my victory moment. 
the victory moment for Jesus was when he hung on a cross and when he looked down and said, they're all sinners around me. Everyone is a sinner around me. But nevertheless, not my will, God, it's yours. And he laid down his life, blameless for us, even while we are still in our sins. I'm telling you, that's incredible. You know, Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, must have remembered a story that he had heard about. A story that Randall referred to a little bit in Mark chapter 10. And that story in Mark chapter 10 was talking about blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus was laying by the side of the road. He was just sitting there and he heard a commotion. You know what that commotion was? Randall, what was that commotion? Excuse me? It was Jesus coming by. Remember, he's blind, right? So he's hearing this and somehow... Blind Bartimaeus knows that something could change if he could get to Jesus. And so blind Bartimaeus is sitting there and he said, started shouting. Take me to him. Take me to him. Take me to him. Bring me to Jesus. Bring me to Jesus. People around just said, you're a beggar. You're homeless. And I'm stepping over you, and not only am I stepping over you, I'm telling you to be quiet. Do not speak out. That's Jesus over there. (laughs) What? And so he says, no, take me to Jesus. Take me to Jesus. Take me over there. And they said, just shut up. We're done with you. And so they're yelling back. He's yelling, and Jesus hears it. Do you know what Jesus said when he heard about this need of this blind man? He kind of, I don't know if he yelled it back, he might have, but he said, bring him to me. I like that bring him to me phrase. Do you ever feel like you can't get to Jesus because everybody in your life and all your circumstances are messing up your opportunity? Well, I'm telling you, just like when the prodigal son began to decide that he was going to come home, he started running home and he began to run because his father was there to meet him. And Jesus said, bring him to me. And you know what that beggar did at that moment? He took his identity, his cloak, the thing that identified him as a beggar, and he threw it aside and he went to Jesus. He left his identity behind. What a powerful moment that was that day. Through a lot of prayer and counseling, my mom changed. She ended up divorcing my dad again. My dad ended up marrying another person. She then moved from Texas back to Illinois. But one thing that didn't happen is that she wasn't defeated anymore. She was victorious. In fact, when I was pastor in El Sobrante, I had her give her testimony. 
And she went into vivid detail on what she had gone through and how Christ had given her that new identity. She literally threw off her past at one point. She said, I am not wearing that anymore. Stop trying to put that on me, Satan. Stop trying to give me that identity. I want a new identity. I am not going to take this anymore. Just forget it. I'm, not, I'm walking away from my old identity. And for the past 30 years, not only has she had, not only has she, a present tense word, a victorious life, but she has given her powerful testimony in churches and in public settings. It's amazing to me. When I was going through all of this as a young family, I was 30 years old. My son was just a, I guess he was four or five years old. I needed strength. In the moment, I didn't see God's riches, but I knew they were there. But I got there through prayer, and because I had tapped into it in the past in my life, this is how I discovered His promises again. You know, my story, I lived it. Not the begging or blind man, but about the identity of my mom. Trying to talk to her, trying to help her, and you know what? You have a story too. Everyone in this room has a story. It might be adoption. It might be divorce. It might be rejection. It might be abuse. It might be feelings of worthlessness. Many of you had had to cast off your old identity. Some of you might be hiding under it even today, afraid to embrace this kind of a prayer. And you can only hear this in your life. It's like people are saying, don't bother the teacher. You'll figure it out. And they're your barrier. But Jesus is saying, bring them to me. Come to me right now. And Paul is praying. Jesus is calling. It's his power, not yours. It's his strength and not yours that you might be changed. And the things that Satan has stolen, Jesus takes back. My mom, she had a horrible life when she was going through those things. I couldn't figure out how to help her. God saw her as a very beautiful thing. But you know how she saw herself? Like that. Blind Bartimaeus saw himself as this horrible thing, but God saw him like this. And when Jesus says, come here, people said, you're worthless. Don't bother the teacher. And so what he heard was this. You're worthless. And I don't know what your life has been like. Adopted, divorced, depressed, all those things. Satan tells you this. And you begin to look at these lies as tattered and shredded dreams. But you know what? When I turn to Jesus, He comes to me and He says, bring them to me. And Jesus sees that you're a beautiful vase. That you're a beautiful cre creation. That He created you not to fail. And Jesus loves you just like you are. 
And he says to all of you that feel depressed and broken and, and harmed, that you don't have to feel that way anymore. The last verse in this section of Scripture, I love it. Verse 20 says this, Paul is saying, as a prayer, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. You're a beautiful vase. And it's time to take back what Satan has stolen. You may feel worthless, but you are bought with a high price. And Paul says, as you begin to discover your identity in Christ as a family and all the things that we taught in these last verses here, in the end, God will do something immeasurably more than you ask or think. Something bigger and greater. When my mom gave her testimony in the church up in El Sobrante, I was blown away. I hadn't heard half of that stuff that she talked about. I hadn't heard about the time in Corpus Christi just before she took all those last pills and collapsed at Cole Park. She told us about that day earlier when she was rolling her cart through the grocery store. She grabbed all these sleeping pills and then someone from the church was coming down another aisle. She said what she quickly did is she just grabbed a whole bunch of stuff and put it on top of the sleeping pills. She did not want people to know that she was hurting. And I'm telling you, it is not time to cover up anymore. It's time to say, this is the old stuff. And it's time to step forward and to say, God has something way bigger than I ever thought or imagined. I don't know what it is because I'm not even imagining it yet. But yet, one day, my mom stood at a pulpit of a church and shared with my congregation the truth of the delivering power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I don't know where you are, where you've been, what you're going through, but I know that your identity is in Christ and He wants to do so much more through you. So for our closing time today, I'd like all of you just to stand where you are right now. Would you do that? I'm going to have our prayer team come, and it's not going to be a really big altar time plead because you already know who you are, I believe, or you know that you need prayer. And I just want all of you that need prayer either to just begin to come up right now. You can stand and have people pray for you, or you can just stand and pray with, you know, in your own space right there. That's cool. I don't mind that at all. But those of you that know how to pray, after the response comes, you just begin to pray for each other. And then we're going to have one closing prayer with everybody. And uh, then we're going to have that soft close where you can kind of worship and leave at that time. But at this time, I just want you to begin to come right now. Let's bow our heads right now. God, I just pray right now for a response to your kingdom. Lord, for those that feel lost, that those that feel that their identity has been stolen, that those that feel that there is no beyond this moment kind of thing in their life, God, that you will set them free in Jesus' name and that their old identity would go away. And God, that they would stop hiding behind the things that keep dragging them down. And God, would you just set them free in Jesus' name.
we pray that you have found some practical hope for your life and future in this message today. And we thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with others. You can find information or contact Sequoia Community Church in Oakland, California online at myscc.co. On Instagram, you can find us at SCC Oakland or search for us on Facebook.